0: And now we're recording. So, welcome to another episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today we're excited to welcome one of my very good friends, Savannah. Uh, now, Savannah, so previously on, on Law and Order SVU, no, Um, previously on Tolkien with Friends when we've invited folks, we, you know, um, have asked them if they wanted to share where they can find you on the internet. I don't know if you want people to find you on the internet, actually. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong but Um, i haven't thought about it um maybe i'll rain check it
1: and let you know at the end (laughs) if i want
0: to be recognized or not that's fine but savannah i love you we've been friends for a long time and part of that love was i think grown out of our mutual like of lord of the rings and things like thumbelina um yeah so uh can you tell us a little bit how you How you were introduced to Lord of the Rings and what it is that you love about the story.
1: I think my very first encounter with Lord of the Rings would have been the old school VHS that I would get from the video store. Like at home, like break the dishes, crack the plates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates all the time. Um, And then decided to read them after I realized that they were books. And my Mm -hmm. mom read Be the Hobbit and I think I had to read it in some class in school later years down and from there I just kind of grew and then I became obsessed with the Lord of the Rings series and then of course we go Simmerillion I got into that and that was probably one of the most intense things I've ever read I don't know if I could do it again.
0: (laughs) I know it took me so long before I could actually like finish it I mean I've started it so many times it wasn't until probably last year that i actually like was like i did it
1: (laughs) it's Um, an honor to wear if you finish that because it's not an easy read
0: no Um, and it's it's written so it's not like a a novel it's a textbook
1: straight up like a history textbook
0: straight up yeah and now me and some of the nerdy friends that i've made via tiktok we're in a we made ourselves a book club to read unfinished tales so that's what i was doing yesterday yeah so it's all good i mean come to it in your own time really i mean i feel like it's the message we i mean because we've talked a lot about like we don't care if you maybe you only played the video games and that's your intro to lord of the rings or maybe you've only seen the movies a million times it it, it doesn't matter to us like all equally valid so as long as you get you get to the same place you get to the same place Exactly. I mean, we're all we're all into it, so that's great. So now, Savannah, I do have to tell you that you may have to come back again next week because I misspoke, and we actually aren't getting as much to Faramir as I had originally planned. So, but I know you have thoughts. I have been tricked. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but we will talk about him a little bit. It's just that the arwen aragorn stuff came into play more than i remembered it would so i had to go back and read the append you know some of the appendices to fill in those gaps so that kind of ended up taking up more of my notes than i anticipated so just fyi makes yeah. sense. all right and my I'm path- here for the ride am i bad so so for everybody following along we're talking about the extended edition of two towers between like if you started out an hour and 34 minutes in until about two hours and 13 ish minutes in and just because of the way that peter focuses so much on helm's deep I think we're going to get to the bulk of that next time. And also probably just like the end of the movie, because at that point it just becomes its own thing. Like there's not a ton of, there is book reference, but there's, it's not as much because like he will just touch on some chapters, but then like focusing on Helm's Deep for way longer than maybe he needed to. So that's the heads up. Um, And so this chapter, so today we're talking about chapters like of herbs and, of herbs and stewed rabbit plus like five seconds of tree beard not really much um and then some changes to how the beginning of Helm's Deep starts the chapter and then we are going to get into arwen and Aragorn's story from appendix a in the back of return of the king if you need to check for reference we cite our sources here (laughs) so to break down these differences i think let's start let's just like go through it sort of in the way that the movie presents it to us. So we start with the people of Edoras are making for Helm's Deep and we see Wormtongue talking to Saruman um, about how vulnerable they are. And this apparently gives Saruman the idea to send out his war riders, which are those freaky looking wolf things. Um, I don't actually think there's, suppo- I think they're just supposed to be like big wolves, but um, artistic, inter- artistic license is taken right? And they look very gross. Um, So this scene doesn't happen at all in the books. It is, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll I'll tell you what actually happens and why I think Peter does it besides his love for battle scenes. (laughs) Um, So in contrast, in the books, theoden sends the women and children to dunharrow which is where we're going to see them end up in return of the king that's where they muster the Rohirrim before they head off to gondor and he is taking his army straight to isengard to confront saruman based on the advice of gandalf you know he's like go get him so he's like i will do that and um on the second day of writing a writer of Rohan appears and tells them how, though they were holding the Fords of Isen, which is one of the borders of Rohan, all of Isengard must be emptied and has killed or scattered their forces. He doesn't know where Erkenbrand is, who is like their leader. Um, he doesn't know who's been killed or what, but basically he's like out of breath and like, you've come too late. Um, and so this is the moment that when Gandalf hears it, he immediately takes off with like no explanation, just... He doesn't even say "look for me at dawn on the fifth day," like in the movie. He's just like, "Go to Helms Deep. Stick to the plan." Bye. Um, and the and then that's when the Rohirrim change direction to Helms Deep, and they through this mar- you know this pursuit, they realize that Isengard is following them, and they they know it's a huge like the the Urukai, and it's also um, the Wild men, the the Dunlendings, the men of Dunland, who are also with the Urukai. It's not just solely Urukai. Um, and they that they realize that they're being pursued. Like they see their their torches and stuff behind them, and that's how they know that it's an insane number. Uh, and you know they make it to Helm's Deep before they before the Urukai and they close it all off and all that. Um, but in this, we see them making it to Helm's Deep and. That's about it. And then, you know, we see Aragorn falling off this cliff, right? With his little fight with an orc. And so to me, the purpose of this silly battle to unnecessarily kill off some dudes um, is to separate Aragorn from the group. So that it is, in fact, Aragorn that tells them the news about how massive Saruman's army is and in, in explaining it it feels like such a roundabout way to do that when they could have just
1: well i mean they're it. also like
0: setting it up for aoen you know what i
1: mean like yeah to set up her severe love for him her crush on him you know when he gets back from help deep she's like my lord so yeah i think that's also part of it is they were setting it up for that but it mm-hmm. is like super roundabout to do all those yeah. things because she already obsessed with him I know.
0: Words. Yeah, yeah. She, she, It's like she lays eyes on him and she's like, drool.
2: Like, <laughs> You've known him for two seconds. I know he's fine, but you need yeah. to calm down. Calm down.
0: Yeah, and my man is taken. Yeah. My man is taken. So, um, and you know, I get it. I get it for Eowyn. I mean, she's probably never, I mean... As, you know, as far as who Eowyn is, she is somebody who is very focused on... Like, she understands that the times that they're living in, right? She knows that darkness is ahead, but she wants to be a part of the, the fray. You know, she wants to be one of the people that makes shit happen, you know? She doesn't want to just stay home with the women and children. Um, and... She, you know, she wants renown, and she's she is constantly talking about how she's not afraid of death. She wants to be out there doing the thing. She doesn't care if it takes her life or not. And so, um, I feel like it's a much more, it's a much like stronger position than I think they necessarily give us in the movies, um, as far as how much she doesn't care. I mean, I think she's a little bit sweeter in the movies. I mean, she still like does her little sword moves and stuff, but. Um, I don't know. That's that's my feeling. I think we'll get into and definitely more once we start riding off to battle. But those are my initial thoughts at this point in the film. Ladies?
1: I had a thought and then I lost it. Oh. In, in On the AON realm. Um, it was yeah. there. It was mm-hmm. good too. Um. <laughs> Can't confirm. <laughs> it was an excellent thought. <laughs> <pull. laughs> I feel like
2: I have too many thoughts about Aowen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know like it's nice that they give her more of a role in the movies, but I do find her to be annoying in the movies because she's just like always crying over Vigo, and, sh- and yeah. he's like not he's like not putting it back. Reciprocating, out there. So yeah. Like, Girl, like get with the program. Um, stop it. Uh. I, I like her wanting to to fight and be a part of things that are different uh, other than what she's culturally supposed to do, you know, just like take care of the women and children. But the, the side story of her being like deeply obsessed and just like, like they come back, there's that scene where they come back and she's like, mm. but where's but where's Vigo? And I'm like, mm-hmm. what about all the other people that you know that probably, you know,
0: could have fought and died? You've known <laughs> him again for five minutes and yeah. like, straight up to your yeah. uncle. Well, and were- then, not not to like Savannah, you go. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say not to
1: mention that literally on that walk on the way, Vigo's talking about Arwen. He's like, oh, she's like, who gave you that necklace? And he's like, a oh, lady, you know, like yeah. she knows she knows but that's like again how the movie portrays her because i think she was much stronger
0: yeah i run. don't think she, she does she's not like throwing herself at him but she's like um i think that moment that we see we're gonna see later you know when she's like you know i, I want to go with you to to battle but you know the men follow you because they love you and uh you know i think something like that is more in line with aew not just being like but they've already set her up to like throwing herself at him. So that when that line happens, it isn't as subtle as it could have been. And because I think that she, what she loves about Aragorn, because obviously she doesn't know him yet. Right. But at this point, what I would say that she loves about Aragorn is that he's clearly like a king among men. Like that is explicitly stated multiple times at this point. Like he, he holds himself and he's, smart and you know diplomatic but you know also very strong in his convictions and I think that that is very appealing to Aon. and you know as somebody who's probably while she has been practicing swordplay in her room or whatever she is still like royalty so she's probably not exposed to a ton of people at this point in her life and so and he's very different from like the Rohir same but different you know what I mean different flavor and so I think that's very appealing to her as somebody who wants to strike out into the world and make a name for herself you know and she is there's a point where she says that she sees herself like she wants to be a queen she wants to be ruling you know but uh, she'll change her mind later and we'll see why But uh yeah, I and just to add to the Eowyn thing, the I will never not be annoyed by her making him that freaking stew and it's clearly supposed to be disgusting and he's like trying and he's trying to like save her feelings and I'm just like, why why are you doing this to her? Because why did they have that? Yeah, like A, if she's supposed to be this like self sufficient woman she'd make know, a
2: good
0: stew she, she could make a basic yeah. stew okay and then b why is she she doesn't need to be cooking in that scene she could you know what i mean like if she wanted to ask him about her hit about aragorn riding off with her grandfather in war she could have just asked him like maybe when they were walking earlier i don't know like why is it there why and i feel like it's one of those things where they're throwing Aowen under the bus to make, because then they they will they do a Aragorn Arwen flashback scene later, so it feels like like really close to that. So it feels like they're throwing Aowen under the bus to make Arwen look better. But I'm like, we never see Arwen cook, nor do we judge her for if she can or cannot cook. <laughs> like, I,
2: I think we stand Peter Jackson because he's cool. But this might just be one of those little details where, like, a dude obviously just you know. Like
0: yeah. this so yeah I don't know how this got past Philippa and Fran truly and I know it's an extended scene it's not like in the theatrical cut thank god but and the point of that scene is to tell us that Aragorn be old you know and she's like oh Dunedain you know and I'm like but you, to get there why did you have to do that to Ao1? it's uncool it's uncool not, not approved <laughs> take it out. That's why I didn't No. Make it. That's <laughs> yeah. I didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, so many people like I mean, I probably exclusively watch the extended scenes whenever extended edition. So whenever I see that, I'm like, mm, Shakespeare. Uh cuz I don't I don't like it. One person on the I can't remember if it was somebody in our Discord or just like a comment somewhere, but I feel like somebody said to me like, "Oh, I liked that they showed the Ao can't cook because I can't cook." And I'm like, Okay, but you, the point is to think less of her for it, like right.
1: that she's doing that's, a womanly duty of she's doing a lesser job, even as royalty, of cooking mm-hmm. this meal for yeah. him.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's like uh it feels a little icky. She didn't I need to be that doing
1: that. was kind of set up to look icky in general in the movies, to me. Yeah, like, she kind of looks like she's always plotting to get to Aragorn. She's always looking thirsty.
0: You know, like, mm-hmm. she's
1: after him when it could have, like, just been, like, she had a little crush. And they could have portrayed right. that of, like, oh, you know, like, she just met him. He's a hottie. Like, this, was yeah. up. But it's still, they, they instead just make her, like, drooling over him all the time.
0: It's too much. It's too like, much. And that's, I think, something that comes up a lot is just, like, the subtlety of Tolkien's writing is very much lost in in the movies and especially now i think fellowship was pretty good we we didn't have we had a lot of things we liked about changes in fellowship and um but at this point there's i feel like there's more i'm struggling more struggling more with the some of the decisions made um all right so so that's eowyn um and the the first part of them dealing with the wargs like i I don't have much to say about the actual battle itself because it doesn't happen there's like nothing to compare it to when we get to helm's deep there will be more we can compare more to how they actually portray it in the book versus the movie um but with the warg scene doesn't happen nothing at all (laughs) to say (laughs) um i don't know i don't know if you guys have any thoughts of it just as like a piece of film but I yeah. I think if
1: yeah. wolves were like Frenchies, that's what a warg would be. Like a warg is a wolf Frenchie. It's like all like squishy faced, brachycephalic, <laughs> like, yes. that's, what, that's my two cents on wargs.
0: <laughs> I know the, d- the design choices were interesting there. Uh, they clearly want to because, you know, even in the Hobbit movies, they make the wargs look like just big ass wolves. And I think that the only other time that we see wolves really is in uh, fellowship when they, they fight them on their way to the mines of Moria, um, in the books, not in the movies. And those were just described as wolves. Um, so to have these wargs, I think that that was really, I'm sure they were just having fun with it, you know, with the design of these crazy creatures because they really, um, Pretty much everything that they create to be from like Sauron or Sauron it's just I mean none of it's cute I think the Moomakill are cute like the elephants later um, but then they're even used to evil purpose which is sad, it's sad. Ugh, I know I'm like they didn't deserve this not
1: really, <laughs> they didn't like make- any cute critters in Lord of the Rings are there
0: yeah. They're all kind no. of yeah, yeah, unless it's like a fox or a rabbit or whatever. Like yeah, just they just ended up at a stew, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so let's let's get to the stew then. Um, so when we cut to a verbs and stewed rabbit, there. So so there's a little bit before that chapter where you see like a exchange. Well, you have Gollum flopping around in a creek or stream or something and then you have fish yeah he's trying to grab that fish and looking very proud of himself when he catches it i feel like there's um an
2: ex like in this an extended edition on the dvds where they're talking about like the actress and like that there's like footage of andy circus yep first.
0: yep they're totally he's in that like skin flesh colored like one and Z and he's like that's literally him like he was fully doing that and and I mean I think Andy Circus and everybody is like an incredible actor and like the commitment to that is amazing but also he Gollum doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't but you didn't have to. You didn't have <laughs> you didn't. to do that. And it's funny because they really, they're, like, leaning into this. So so in this part, we also see Gollum have that conversation with himself where he tells the, like, evil side of himself to go away. But what's funny is that in the Dead Marshes, Gollum already has slipped, has cracked. And he's already, that's, that's when he has the conversation with himself about, like, you know, we swore to serve the Master of the Precious. You know, the fat one will find out, you know, we'll make him crawl and the whole we could let her do it. That whole conversation gets moved to the end of the movie. So here they stick it. They give him an extra crazy conversation where he's doing like a back and forth with himself to tell his bad side to go away. And it's as if from this moment until Faramir screws up. You know, in the movie. It's, you know, from then to Faramir that Gollum is, like, a good guy. Or, like, trying harder, you could say. But in the book, he's already decided that he's a little more tricksy than what, you know... And Sam heard that conversation, so Sam is rightfully suspicious. But the movie takes it as if Sam is being too suspicious and... You know, he he's like pushing Frodo more than he does in in the book. Um, and there's this whole thing where at that scene with him flopping around, Sam is like, "You know, why are you worried so much about him?" And he's like, "I want to help him, Sam, because I have to believe he can come back." And you know, Sam is very much like, "Huh." what um but also it makes me go huh what because to me this implies like a selfish desire to help Gollum in order to prove that frodo can also be saved at the end and like we've talked about before this isn't his motivation at all i mean it could arguably be partially that but to me i think it's Frodo having a a really solid understanding of the advice that Gandalf gave him and understanding that how he, so he's the ring bearer, right? And how he conducts himself while holding the ring is paramount to how it affects him and how it, you know, consumes him a little bit. And because... And if you don't have ill intent if you're like being genuine with folks it's gonna have a harder time getting a hold of you and so to me I mean I guess that's partially self-serving but I think it's also like once he saw Gollum he fully understood why Bilbo didn't hurt him you know when he definitely could have and so I think it's like Gollum is just a sad story and he doesn't want to make it sadder (laughs) Um you know, that's my impression of it. But I think I think they... because it
1: is such a sad story with Gollum, that's why they kinda of try to lighten it up in the movies a little bit. They're trying um, to say, like, hey, you know, maybe he still can come back from this. Maybe, you know, look at this good part of him. He's being helpful. He's Smeagol, you know, he's got this, but like and that means maybe, you know, it's giving you hope throughout the movie of, you know, maybe Frodo's gonna be okay too if Gollum's got this redemption art going on that doesn't pan out
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i get that and i and I didn't get leaning into it more but the way that they use it um to draw sam and frodo apart is what makes me the saddest
1: because that's the saddest Be- story for real
0: yeah because they are really like ride or die i like i know that they're setting up that ridiculous scene of like go home sam later but it, I'm like, oh, why did we have to go there? <laughs> because, um, and you know, there's like some really beautiful things that happen during this walk to Mordor when we switch to Sam's perspective. That it's he's just so wholesome, and you know, it's it's things like this that that really get lost. And I and I don't know how you would put it in there. I'm not arguing that they should have, but just from like a if you're interested, uh, thing there, there's this part where, um, Sam asks Gollum to go find some food. So in the movie, they show Gollum just showing up with two, you know, rabbits and is like, eat them, like being real gross about it. Um, but Sam actually told Gollum to help him go find food and Gollum goes to help, which is, uh, I think that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid interaction between those two that um you do, like sam is like ultra suspicious of gollum in in the movies but and well, rightfully so right but at the same time i think sam is softer towards gollum because he knows that's what frodo would expect of him he very much like respects frodo's position on gollum even if he doesn't necessarily agree so he's like keeping an eye out but still not being too mean Um, So Gollum goes off and Sam is keeping watch, but he's also, you know, he looks over and he sees Frodo sleeping. And it's, it's funny because he, Tolkien does this a lot where he explains what Sam is seeing and then explains it, but that's not how Sam would put it. Even though these are like Sam's thoughts, but Sam doesn't have the vocabulary of Tolkien, which I think is like, uh, what is the word that I want? Like, acknowledging that sam is thinking this but he phrases it like this which i think is kind of cute so just because it's so precious i'm going to read it to you so then as he had kept watch sam and noticed that at times a light seemed to be shining faintly within but that now the light was even clearer and stronger frodo's face was peaceful the marks of fear and care had left it but it looked old, old and beautiful, as if the chiseling of the shaping years was now revealed in many fine lines that had before been hidden, though the identity of the face was not changed. And and I get it. like Frodo was literally, like, Elijah was literally, like, 20 years old <laughs> when they made this. That's so, me. sure. I get not putting this. But then it says... Not that Sam Ganji put it that way himself. He shook his head as if finding words useless and murmured, I love him. He's like that. And sometimes it shines out shines through somehow, but I love him, whether or no.
1: So it's- precious. He's just so <laughs> wholesome. He's, he's just so always good. seeing Frodo. He just sees like, I see you. I'm here for you. And Frodo's like in the movie, of course, is not nice to see him.
0: Yeah. Not nice to yeah. see him. Yeah, we see him in this scene, particularly like snap at him, like, what do you know about it? And uh, it's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, that's not Frodo, really. Um, but that's why we're talking about it, because I, I think that their dynamic in the books is so special, you know, the way that despite everything you know despite not agreeing on things or despite going through literally like hell and back they they stick to each other you know and i think that's true of the whole fellowship really even when they're hundreds of miles apart or however far It is in Middle Earth because I do not know. Um, But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're very far apart, but they're always constantly thinking of each other. And I think that that is the strongest with Frodo and Sam because of the way that they feel about each other. You know, like, Sam is not only respects Frodo, but, you know, he truly cares about him. And Frodo knows that he's older, wiser, whatever, like, and he fully feels responsible for Sam. So, like... I don't know. They're so precious, and it, it it's a little heartbreaking you know, the way they do it in the movie because it's not. We don't get all of the precious moments. hashtag Not sponsored, <laughs>
1: especially not towards um, like Frodo to Sam because Frodo does have that love and that care and that need to protect Sam too, and that's not mm-hmm. shown really at all in the movies. It's mainly like. Sam literally carrying him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's, um, because you can see Sam doing like a lot of the physical stuff for Frodo, but I think Frodo is also doing like a mental lift for Sam. You know, like Sam giving his full trust to Frodo about the whole Gollum situation where Sam might have just gotten rid of Gollum, he probably would have tied him up in the Eamon mule and let him die there you know and not thought about it he probably would have thought about it again honestly but you know he would have thought he, about it he would have thought it, <laughs> yeah. it would have it would have been, but you know he might have entered you know he might have gone through with that longer the you know for I'm, I'm not he might have gone back but you know what i mean he he probably would have left him there and it wouldn't have been great so um but he fully trusts frodo in this and like goes along with frodo's you know treatment of gollum he isn't like totally mean to him like and i feel like he is a lot meaner to gollum in the, in the movies um you know like he for example he offers gollum the stew multiple times you know um but Gollum is, doesn't even want to try it because he... And he goes off to find something else for himself. Um, and he, the tone of him using the term slinker and stinker feels different to me in the, the books. Like, he... You know, Frodo is like, why do you call him names like that? Put him down all the time in the movies. But the way that he says it in the books, it doesn't... Like, it's... It's more just, like... Sam to himself. He isn't doing it to like put him down per se. Like, listen, there's this line where he says, and Gollum isn't even here at this point. Gollum's off to go find his own food. And he says to Frodo, basically, Frodo has napped, they've eaten, and now Sam's gonna nap. And he's like, you know, don't like keep an eye out for Gollum because he's like, I don't feel too sure of him. There is a good deal of stinker the bad Gollum, if you understand me in him still and it's getting stronger again not but what i think he'd try to throttle me first now we don't see eye to eye and he's not pleased with sam and he does this thing where he like mimics Gollum when he's talking about Gollum. he says we don't see eye to eye and he's not pleased with sam oh no precious not pleased at all <laughs> so it feels a little sillier and not so much mean huh. you know well i think because also sam is just like
1: sweet and he's like Again, he doesn't have that vast vocabulary, so he's not going to have other ways to describe them. He is describing him as he sees him. Like, he's being a stinker, mm. so that's what I'm going to call him, because what else do I have to call him? Yeah. And I think that is played out way more in the book of as far as, like, how he's not malicious in his hate toward mm-hmm. or his dislike of Gollum. Right. He's more, he's distrustful, he's worried, but Frodo's, like, you know... This is what my choice is. And he's like, I respect you, bro. So.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: But not in the movie, so- he's, like, real big mad at each other all the time. Like, they're constantly <laughs> torturing each other all the time.
0: Yeah, they are. And then Frodo has to be, like, in the middle of it, um, which isn't really fair to him. Because, you know, the ring isn't not eating him up. Uh, so they, they, like, add this layer of drama, and I'm like, isn't it hard enough without this? <laughs> it's hard enough, okay. <laughs> like, <sighs> so yeah, I just don't feel like the love that they have for each other is as strong as I would have liked it to be in the movies. And I'm I sure think- we're going to talk about this forever, but...
1: I think... A problem with like portraying it. There are already so many memes and so many things about Sam and Frodo being in love with each other and mm-hmm. that whole thing. So they were like, "How do we make a movie and show like these two best friends that clearly love each other so much, but not make it come off?" They kiss
0: each other's hands. <laughs> <laughs> they love each other. Yeah. Friends do. I know. It's just like it's funny. Yeah, it's interesting to think about them. Dealing with modern toxic masculinity and trying to not upset it, I guess. You know, upset um, it
1: or feed into it.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, they're trying to portray something that's passable for people's understanding, I guess. I don't know. I'm just like, you know what? Just push the boundaries. Just show them, like, caring about each other. Like, it's just what it is. You know what I mean? It's not, like, making it... It's not trying to make it... T- I'm just... I, but, you know, I can just see executives being like, it's too gay or yeah. something. <laughs> it's exact, I'm
1: pretty sure that's exactly what they said. They were There was a panel and that yeah. was what was said right there. Yeah. It's just...
0: Not oh, man. It's sad. They're just... I mean, yeah, whatever but but I do think that there the you know, if you have never read the books before, I think that would be kind of a there there's like a different nuance there that I think it, that that I really appreciate between them, and it's uh it's definitely lost, and there's some parts of it where I get it like i I understand that we can't have everything in the movies that's clear, but there is there are some things where it's like just. You know, dial it back down a little, Peter. It'll be okay. You know what I mean. Um, but he's always making things a little bit more dramatic than maybe it needs to be. Even though it's like, come on, they're fighting for their lives out there. I, I feel like there's a a gruelingness that's maybe lost because there's so much that he pushes the the narr- like the story forward so fast in a lot of ways. With especially with Sam and Frodo, like they are climbing around getting lost and they don't in the movie they don't really have time to climb around and get lost you know and be confused they are always kind of moving on to the next point and i get it timing wise but um i don't know there, there is like a, a wariness that i they i guess they save it all for return of the king but it, it is kind of happening throughout
1: but <laughs> i'm trying to think like how they would have i mean i don't the know they're pushing that pace so fast and they are pitting you know sam and Gollum against each other so there's not really time to show the love that sam and frodo have for each other and all that they go through yeah but i would have liked to see it regardless
0: yeah i bet that there i bet there could be like some tone shifting that they could have done if they wanted to make it similar to how it is currently presented. But maybe they didn't feel like it was, like, compelling enough. I don't know. I wasn't there. They didn't ask me. <laughs> That's the problem. That's a problem. Yeah, I know. I mean, what, I was... I mean, were they filming in, like, 98, 99? So, I... <laughs> I, I was like eight or nine or whatever when the, they were dealing with this. <laughs> <Eight or nine>. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we'll get them next time. <laughs> next time, well, I yeah. mean, you could have got
1: them next time. You did have yeah. next time. Yeah, you then.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh. <laughs> 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 so okay, so where does that leave us? Okay, so then we've got like the difference with um, Sam cooking the food. Like, obviously, Gollum isn't interested in the food at all, but I do think it's probably interesting to note that he's not so much worried about them cooking, but he is worried about the fire. You know, Gollum is like, what are you doing, you dummy? Like, do you know where we are? But there is a point where I think Sam feels better when they're in Athelian. It used to be the Garden of Gondor once upon a time, and so there are still... And like the air is cleaner, like there, there are herbs and, you know, plants making it have a, there's an aromatic scent and like his heart feels lighter. So he is taking some liberties with, you know, taking some chances by cooking this food and, um, Frodo's asleep when he's cooking. So he doesn't have anybody to be like, no, no, this is really a bad idea, um. And Gollum is like, ugh. And so Gollum leaves at that point, you know, after he's starting to cook it. And he's like, oh, if you ruin the food, you're going to get a scene. I'm out. So he, and it, also, and it almost works out. But then there is a, some of the ferns. So there's a lot of foliage. Some of the ferns catch fire and make a little wisp of smoke. And that's how Faramir and his rangers figure out where they are. And they find them. Um, And luckily, they're not bad guys. I think that in the movie, they are immediately like me. You know, they like rough them up a little bit and bind their hands. Um, But in the books, you know, they follow them or they find them and they're like surprised. They're like, that's not an orc. You know, because who else did you expect to see in Athelian at this point? You know, they were expecting a bad guy. And then they see Sam and Frodo. Um, And so they're surprised. And one of the rangers goes, elves? And Faramir responds, no, they're not elves, because elves are wondrous fair to look upon. And Sam is like, meaning we're not? I thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And he's
2: yeah and then he's like
0: thank you kindly and when you finish discussing us perhaps you'll say who you are and why you can't leave two tired travelers to rest and you know that's where the line there are no travelers in this land comes from it's Sam being sassy and Faramir being like okay well what do you expect me to say (laughs) so and, and what's funny is it's like in the movies Frodo doesn't admit to knowing who Gollum is until the last minute until they're about to kill him you know but frodo pretty much offers up a lot of information to faramir like he perceives that they he he notes that they remind him of boromir and that they look chill like they must be gondorian men um and so he admits to knowing Gollum, and but he's like i don't know where he is right now but yeah he's like entrusted to me Um, And he also tells them, like, they're coming from Rivendell, also known as Imladris. Boromir was a part of our group. Um, And he asks Faramir if he knows the riddle that Boromir brought to Rivendell. You know, the, um, you know, seek for a door's bane, in Imladris it dwells. Something, something, halfling is also a part of that. And Faramir's like, yeah, I know it. Why do you know it? (laughs) So he's like, hmm, very sus, but you know, he's, he's intrigued. And um, in the movies, they also switch the order around. They have it to where Faramir takes down the men of Harad and like the elephant and then runs into them, but he like runs into them. And then is like, okay, well, there's some dudes coming, so I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave these two guys to guard you. And Frodo uh, says he's like gives him this whole flowery speech he's like think what you will I'm a friend of all enemies of the one enemy we would go with you if we halfling folk could hope to serve you such doughty men and strong as you seem and if my errand permitted it may the light shine on your swords and Faramir's like halflings be courteous folk whatever else they be he's like okay you're nice you're, yeah. you're nice yeah. he's like I'm not used to that um <laughs> So then they go off and and take down the, you know, the, some of the men, I don't know if they get all of them, but they take down some of the men that are going to, you know, serve Mordor. But because basically they, the men that are left to guard, Frodo and Sam tell them that like, there are these guys, they're getting more and more confident thinking that just because they're in the shadow of Mordor that they can just walk freely and we're going to show them. Absolutely not. Um, and there is a line that they give to Faramir that is actually a part of Sam's thoughts um, when he sees. Because there is a man that falls near them, um, and he that is one of the men of Harad, and he it falls face down and it says he was glad that he could not see the dead face. He wondered what the man's name was and where he came from. And if he was really evil of heart or what lies or threats had led him on the long march from his home. And if he would really not rather have stayed there in peace, uh, you know, and it says it all on a flash of thought, which was quickly driven from his mind, but they take that and they give it to Faramir to basically say like this exact same thing, but Faramir, Wondering who this guy is. Um, And then he says bind their hands. I'm like, oh, all right. I'm going to be rude. (laughs) But I thought that was an interesting choice of switching it from Sam to to Faramir at that moment. Well, because
1: they chose to make Faramir aggressive from the get-go in the movies. He just came in Mm -hmm. and he's like, what's good? Like, what are y'all doing here? We're going to bind your hands. Like, I am one of your tomfoolery. None of it. And so... Like he doesn't have a chance, like there's no open dialogue. He's not like, mm, what's going on here? Like he's yeah. in the books where he's just like, you know, I'm an intelligent man. I'm here. You're here. You're not orcs, you know, you're not elves. What's going mm-hmm. on? Uh, yeah.
0: It's, it's all like moody,
1: broody, and like squinty eyed. He's super yeah. squinty eyed in the movie. And like he is making judgments with those squinty eyes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like uh uh, how was I going to phrase this? Like in the, in the book, it has more of like, they're both, they're both just like, oh, like, cause you know, they're all expecting to see orcs on the other side. And so they're all a bit relieved, I think. And they're like, oh, okay, well, this is a new thing to figure out. Um, and you can tell Frodo immediately, like kind of choosing not to trust them totally. He doesn't give them, we'll see more. They have a bigger conversation later, but at this outset, but he does keep, give up a lot of info um, and judges them to be good. And obviously that affects how Faramir treats them, I think. And that I think shows again, like, we haven't really got a chance to see Frodo be diplomatic in this book so much because they haven't run into anybody, but it reminds me of like when they ran into um, Gildor in the old four or in the woody end on their way to, uh, you know, the old forest and and all of that Um, just how he is able to impress these total strangers who are, you know, some would consider should probably be wiser or, you know, smarter than a hobbit. Uh, But Frodo handles himself very well in these situations. And I I think that it always bodes well for him and helps, you know, change their fortunes a little bit. Um, but, it, you know, they give Faramir a different trajectory in the movies. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> uh, and I think, and it's funny because they, to me, I mean, I, we'll definitely talk about this probably fully next time. But they they give all of this so that... Frodo and Sam, you know, have, like, a conflict at the end at the same time that they're showing Helm's Deep, even though, like we discussed last time, we know that Helm's Deep has already happened by the time that Frodo and Sam are meeting up with Faramir. But the movie presents it as all, like, it happening together. Um. So they, like, give them this whole Osgiliath conflict thing instead of getting to She Loves Lair, which happens in this book, but it doesn't happen until the Return of the King movie. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I understand not wanting to have too many climaxes and wanting to probably focus on Helm's Deep, but, like, I don't know. I feel like... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder about what that could have looked like, juxtaposing Helm's Deep with She Loves Lair instead. And to more closely match the structure of the Two Towers book. And just for me, I remember going into that theater. I had no idea how long the movie had been going. I mean, I was probably like 12 at the time when the movie came out. And like fully ready for the she love part to happen because I had read the book and you know, they had left Faramir and I was like, okay, we're going to see she love. And then the movie ended when they're just like, you know, walking again. And I was like, Oh, dang. But I don't know. I think there could have been time for it if they had made a few cuts, <laughs> but we can talk about that more next time. After we see what happens with Faramir. Ladies, I feel like I'm talking too much. Tell me your thoughts.
1: (laughs) I am enjoying your talk. I'm eating it up over here. I'm also also thinking of like the different changes they could have made to make the storylines align where they're supposed to be or like what it would have been like, but it would have been, Mm -hmm. you know, multiple movies. It would have been multiple movies.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: Or we could have cut some love scenes. I don't know. Yeah. Call me crazy. I don't know. We could have had. Well, it's
0: like how many minutes? I should have kept track of how many minutes that stupid Borg scene took. <laughs> next time, you know, what next time I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep track of how long they're in Osciliath with that whole Nazgul nonsense. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see how many minutes that is, and then when we get to a Return of the King movie. I'm going to track how long the She Loves Lair scene is. <laughs> I love
1: that. I love that. Idea. <laughs> Although, while we're on a Nazgul, like, that is not what I thought a Nazgul would look like. You know what I mean? That is not what I saw.
0: Oh, like the fell beast that they're on? Like, yeah. the with the long neck and all of that? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Didn't, I didn't get that. Hmm. I don't remember what I thought they looked like before, because he also makes more comparisons to them being bird-like in the books. Huh. So I don't know. I don't know what would you say they're reptilian in the movie? They look more
1: amphibious they're like smooth
0: yeah they are smooth yeah but with wings Mm. and gills yeah yeah those crazy teeth yeah that does look kind of like a well it's crazy fish
1: like more like what I would imagine Nessie looking like than what I would imagine (laughs) like
0: a Loch Ness monster (laughs)
1: yeah but with wings yeah
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, like an evil Loch Ness monster. For sure. Yeah, I feel like. Because it's. So when you think about Tolkien, you think about. I mean, he clearly struggled with this whole ability of evil to create or not. Um, so we. In the movies, they go with what Christopher used in the Silmarillion of orcs being descended of elves right like they're tortured and ruined and then and now their own their their own kind of thing um and so and I know in the book they also have Treebeard talking about how trolls are in mockery of the Ents you know both strong and like earth like but Ents are better he says (laughs) and so (laughs) and I and I feel like the Fell beasts that the Nazgul fly Are supposed are probably A mockery of the eagles Because that's who they go toe to toe with later
2: Right
0: so I'm Almost thinking Maybe more like a feathered dinosaur
1: So have you seen The new trailer for the new Jurassic Park Where they're showing the raptors Mm -hmm. With like the wings maybe something more Like that is what I would see
0: Yeah not like just
1: like that But like more so
0: Yeah, more in that direction than, like, the smooth, freaky neck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ana, if you could design a Nazgul's fell beast that they're flying around on, what do you think, how do you think you would do it?
2: I don't have anything to compare it to because I haven't read the books, but I. If liked, you're just creating uh, a monster. Yeah, I just I liked their portrayal in the movies. I thought they were really creepy. Um, yeah. And, I, I don't know. They they give me like, spooky dragon vibes, and mm-hmm. I just kind of, I was I was into that. Yeah,
0: so. but then they're like, and then they're like, not a dragon. But like, like I,
2: I didn't know that. I just I just mm-hmm. was like, oh yeah. They Ride dragons, Gandalf rides mm. eagles. That, that tracks like I, yeah.
1: like, <laughs> dragons, <laughs> eagles. Got it, <laughs> got it,
0: yeah. Because it's funny because it's like it, it, we know, I mean, like, Smaug is the last dragon that Middle earth ever has. Um, oh, so. for so, mm-hmm.
1: except for my homie, yeah, yeah I agree, <laughs> I love yeah. that
0: for <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <Smaug. laughs> um, he's too he was cute. a cool guy. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch
2: made it even better. So,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, let Benedict Cumberbatch do whatever he wants. Literally,
2: do, let him do whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Get a great voice. So, yeah, it's it's um, but he had to be taken out because Gandalf is like, "I know that Sauron is gonna try to ask Smaug for help," and I don't even know how that would go down like what that conversation would have been like trying to because Smaug is a selfish creature right like he don't do shit for nobody you know like he they they clearly point to him of like getting kind of fat and like laying on all his gold you know so I just imagine what he sends the mouth of Sauron or like one of his messengers to be like hey "Hey, Smaug Um, Would you, I mean, he would have to offer him up something real good, like, but there's no more dwarf hordes. I mean, there's maybe, like, the Iron Hills, but maybe he just says, hey, like, what if I could offer you, I don't know, like, you can have free reign for, like, all of this side of Middle-earth and eat anybody you want. I mean, but he probably feels like he could do that anyway, just with the confidence that Smaug has and he's like I just don't feel like it I don't know I don't know what would entice him to join him at all but I'm sure he would come up with something
1: oh he'd definitely come up with something I just I don't know what it would be
0: I'm just not evil enough you guys I can't (laughs) (laughs) you're too good for this world (laughs) I mean I'm just like trying to get into Smaug's head and I'm like I don't know and then I'm trying to get into Sauron's head and I'm like I don't know I also think there's like
1: a je ne sais quoi about no. him that would like he'd be like, "Hey, I'm like this evil dude. You want to yeah. be on my side?" And peeps are like, yeah. "Okay, okay, I hear you. I hear you'll be yeah. on your side." So I think it'd kind of be like that for Smaug too. Like, yeah, he'd be like, I'd be
0: like, "I like being a part of this evil vibe." Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: a dragon. Just- I'm sure.
0: Yeah, it feels right for us to do something together. Let's collab. Maybe that's how they put it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: well, that's what he kind of did with, you know, Saruman was like, oh, we're collabing. And then it it wasn't a collab after all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I think that it's, I think that Sauron probably knew that Saruman was like a little backstabber, but he was like, you know what, it's working for me now. I'll eat you later. You know what I mean? I'll deal with that when I need to. Yeah. He's like, you're doing... You're you're making shit go down in Rohan right now. That's great. But as soon as you aren't doing that, then it's over. So, oh my gosh. So, we've been talking for 56 minutes, but we still need to talk about the Arwen and Aragorn stuff that happens in this part of the movie. So, um... This is mainly through, like, flashbacks, you know, sparked partially by AON, but also, I think, just to show that side of their story. Um, there's flashbacks of Aragorn and Elrond, and then Arwen's conversation with her dad as well. So, as, as of, just based solely on the films, how would you describe Aragorn's relationship with Elrond? Anybody, I'm chime in. <laughs> I
2: mean, I I don't know. It's obviously like that's your Boo dad, so there's respect, and he's mm-hmm. like like a king, like an elf king. So there's mm-hmm. also that respect, but I, I just think it's like, oh yeah, they're close because like he's been dating Arwen forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I always get the vibe that Elrond's like. He is wasted potential because he's not living up to his king status, you know? Yeah. And that he's not good enough for his daughter because of that. That's the kind of vibes he gives me in the movies. Yeah. Like, you could be this, you're not. My daughter's choosing you.
0: Yeah, it's interesting going with the Aragorn hesitating to take the throne storyline. Because I feel like, well, A, if we want to just talk about Aragorn's story a little bit. So... After Aragorn's dad dies when he's fairly young, him and his mother go to live in Rivendell and they immediately, they, make sh- they start calling him Estelle, m- meaning Hope. Um, they don't tell him who he really is. And then Elrond is his father figure and comes to love him as a son. And, and Ar- Arwen is not there at this time at all. She is in um, Lothlorien with her grandma, chilling with Galadriel. So then when he turns 20... Elrond is like, hey, actually, your name is Aragorn, your son of Arathorn you're a Isildur's heir. He gives him Narsil and um, the ring of Barahir and then says, I'm going to hang on to the scepter of Enuminas because you haven't quite earned that yet. And Aragorn's like, oh, I'm feeling good. Like, I'm on top of the world. I am literally a king. Uh, and, you know, he's 20, you know, excited about life. And that's when Arwen shows up. She comes back to Rivendell after have been having been in Lothlorien for many many years. And he's like, "Now who is this fine lady?" And she's like, oh. uh, "I'm Elrond's daughter." And he's like, "How? I've lived here my whole life, and I haven't <laughs> seen you once." And she's like, "Oh, I've just been, you know, on vacay because being an elf, you can take decades long vacays and." I mean, they don't have jobs. I'm not worried about anything. So yeah, so she's like she's like whatever. Uh but she does not fall in love with Aragorn immediately, but he is head over heels. And then um his mom finds out and she's like don't even think about it, bro. And he's like but I'm gonna and then Elrond, you know, he has the gift of foresight and also he, you know, kind of can read aragorn's heart and he tells him like hey you've got a lot of other stuff to do like you're not going to be betrothed to any woman until you you know reach more of your potential and he's like oh did my mom say something and he's like no but you revealed yourself you know um and so it isn't until they he's 49 and he has gone and that's how you know he's Fought with Aowen's grandpa and, you know, fought in Wars of Gondor, and then he's become friends with Gandalf during that time, and then he's tired, and then he's like, okay, and then he takes a break in Lothlorien. Guess what? Arwen's there again. And I feel like Tolkien points out in this point that Aragorn, she dresses, she takes off like his range or something, and dresses him in very nice clothes, gets him all cleaned up, and he appears as an elf lord to to arwen and that's the moment where she's like hey yeah she's like okay (laughs) okay i like that and you know they fall in love at that point when he's 49 and she's what like several thousand years old i don't remember she's old (laughs) um (laughs) but not as old as everyone else and uh so at that point they, you know, become betrothed to each other and she says she will bind herself to him or whatever and forsake the immortal life because that is a choice that she has as a, you know, child of Elrond being the the weird secession stuff. Um, because, and so then Elrond finds out that he's, you know, that now he's... He was worried about it before, but he was like, nah, Arwen won't go for it. And now Arwen's going for it. So he's like, okay, this, you know, breaks my heart a little bit because he loves them both. But he also, you know, had planned that Arwen would go with him to the Undying Lands when it was their time to go. And he tells Aragorn, "Um, you do not yet know, you do not know yet what you desire of me. And knowing more of Elrond's backstory, it's like, ouch. Because with Elrond, he was, him and his brother Elros, and Elros goes on to become, like, the king of Numenor, and Aragorn is descended from him that way. But there's a lot of, don't worry about the genetics thing, there's a lot of uh, people that happen in between that. Um, But he, so he... When he was growing up, he was essentially raised by these elves that were the enemy of his family, but they took pity on him because his dad, Erendil, went off to warn the god warn the Valar about what was going on in Middle-earth and like he's saying, like, Morgoth is going to win, like we need your help. And Elwing, his mother, she had one of the somerils at that point. They were pursuing her like Fanor's sons because they had swore a stupid oath that they were going to come hell or high water. They were going to take one of these jewels that his dad, their dad made. And then she flings herself into the sea. Almo turns her into a bird so that she can survive. And then she goes, catches up with her husband. They go to Valinor. They're not supposed to go to Valinor. So they give them a choice of like, you can stay or go and you can have, you can live like a man or you can live like an elf. They choose elf. uh But, and then that choice passes down to only Elrond's side. Uh Well, because Elros chooses man, they give him Numenor. All of those are now Numenorians and they have extra long life, but they are men. They don't have the life of the Eldar. Elrond chooses to be an elf. And that's, you know, that passes on to Arwen, but then so his dad is literally the Evening Star, like Arandil with the uh, Silmaril on his brow. So whenever they talk about the light of Arandil, our most beloved star, literally Elrond's dad. Um, no. So so that happens. Doesn't get to be raised by his parents. Pretty sad, even though he just can probably look up and be like, "Sup, Dad? <laughs> uh, hope hey, you know. Yeah. Hope that's hope you're a." Satisfied with that choice (laughs) to not raise your children, and then Arwen, you know, his herd mom, um, and also like her brother's mom, uh, but you know, Elrond's wife, she gets tortured by orcs and goes off to go to Valinor, the Undying Lands, before everyone else because she's like had it with the world, so he is obviously banking on him and his kids going to back to be with love of his life you know live happily ever after for you know say bye-bye middle earth we don't need you anymore and then aragorn is like you know and, and loving aragorn as well so having these two people that you love very much also fall in love and then be like taking your daughter from you i mean that's gotta be rough a lot yeah, so so heavy. Elrond's story, yeah, it's it's a heavy one. So it's like when he said, so he says, "You do not know yet what you desire of me," and then sighs and says, "Like we won't talk about it anymore. Like you know what you have to do to to win Aragorn, uh, to win Arwen's hand." And so it's funny to me that like I don't know. In the movie, Elrond is just like gaslighting everybody. He's like, "Let her go. Her, you know, love for you will be evergreen." And then to And he's like do you not do I not also have your love you know and it's like no he like concedes that they have that autonomy to make that choice for themselves but he does give the condition that you have to be the best of the best and therefore king of Gondor so it's like but that doesn't really happen in the movies and therefore that takes away that motivation from him even though you've got to know that's got to be one of the biggest like He knew he wanted to be king at 20, but then to have that extra layer added to it, like there's no way he's not taking that kingship if he can.
1: That's his. That's his. He's getting the girl. He's getting what is his birthright. He going for it.
0: That's what I'm saying. So, you know, it's a a little sad that they, they make that a little bit harder. I mean, I feel like they could have had that be a little more in line with what the the books had but you know always the drama always and the drama. always the drama and i also think that it's a little sad to not see that our that our aragorn and elrond care for each other it just seems like they're very like ugh, you know it seems Neutral. not
1: yeah yeah i mean you can tell like aragorn's got fondness for elf kind in general like he's got yeah. that fondness for them but like it isn't specifically directed towards elrond i mean it is obviously yeah. towards Arlen, but mm mm-hmm, but
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and it's a little sad because that is like his uh father figure um. in a lot of ways yeah <laughs> and it's funny because i was um when i was getting ready for this i was it just like hit me that although like we've talked about Tolkien calling his wife Edith Luthien, and you know, like using that story as um, nicknames for each other, but it's not totally written. It's, you know, written more within the framework of the mythology, but I feel like this, like the way Aragorn comes to Elrond and falls in love with Arwen and is given this ultimatum, that is a lot like Tolkien, like John and Edith, because he grew up. You know, he was, like, born in South Africa. His dad died. They moved back to England, similar to, like, moving from where they were from to Rivendell. Then he has, like, this father figure in his, I think it's his pastor. Um, And then when his mother dies, he goes to live at this, like, it's like this boarding school situation, like a part of the church. Edith is also there. They become friends and the pastor is like dude like they're 16 or whatever and like in love and the pastor is like no you have to like go out and like you what do you have to offer this girl like you have to go out and like become your own person and then if that if you still like each other then you can and so tolkien does exactly that he's like message received captain and you know goes off makes a life for himself and then comes back proposes to edith when she is engaged to another man (laughs) yeah and he i'm like it's such a good story um but she but she i was obviously like yes you you know and then they live happily ever after um so i feel like yeah i feel like that parallels arwen and aragorn more than it parallels like baron and Luthian. even though i know that he thought of baron and luthien first but it's almost like he was just like this is my story for this one. <laughs> We're just
1: doing me. <laughs> it's all about me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so that is really this whole section of movie. Did anybody else have any other thoughts about from you know, the point where they're leaving Etheras to you know, getting there or Fred, I'm, gonna say I'm meeting Faramir for the first time.
1: I mean, there's like obviously so much to unpack with Faramir. Mm-hmm.
0: That's
1: close to my heart, but like, it comes further down the line.
0: Yeah, you're gonna have to come back next week, ma'am. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely unpack that next time because it is a lot. Um, and they, they have a, they talk a lot in that part and, uh, we'll see how much makes it into the movie and, um, how his actions are different. <laughs> and, you know, we're also going to see Helm's Deep next time. We're going to see, you know, like obviously they get captured or taken by Faramir without Gollum. We're going to see his reintroduction, uh, back to the fray and how that's different Um, but yeah, I think the Helm's Deep battle, as far as in the movie, I think next time we will probably finish the movie just because the Helm's Deep part is so long. So much Helm's Deep. I
1: know. So much Helm's Deep.
0: (laughs) And yeah, and I think we could probably go into like we started, we saw one battle this time, but then next time I think we could probably go into like the differences of um, battle and like the portrayal of war in the movies versus the books. I think that and Faramir are probably going to be the big things. If I remember correctly, but obviously I don't know until the next week with the exact comparison is, um, but yeah, so that's all I had. If nobody else has any other thoughts, then we will see you next time for the window on the West, the forbidden pool. And finally the rest of the Helm's deep chapter and the Treebeard chapter, because those two are broken up over more of the film um so we will see you next week and thanks for tuning in